Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's Ministry Watch Extra episode, I'm pleased to welcome back to the program Paul Gladder. Paul is the editor-in-chief at Religion Unplugged and the director of the journalism program at the King's College in New York City. His journalism experience includes a long tenure with the Wall Street Journal. Paul, I want to first talk about a story by Ryan Burge on the decline of the main line. It was a response to a story by PRRI, the Public Religion Research Institute. That survey said that the mainline churches were experiencing a resurgence and their members may now actually outnumber evangelicals. And I've got to say that the moment I saw that study, I knew it wasn't right or at least needed some massive qualifiers. And Ryan Burgess' story really dug into the numbers. What did he find? Yeah. Uh, so, and by the way, Ryan Burge is himself a both a professor and data scientist in Illinois at a university there, and he's also uh, an ordained minister in the uh, in one of the uh, I think the American Baptist Church. So he really understands religion, and is one of the top data scientists on religion out there. So he writes for our site and, and several other important sites about religion. So the headline on his analysis for us said, why it's unlikely U.S. mainline Protestants outnumber evangelicals. And as you point out, uh, you know, this, the study that came out from PRRI, which I think does some good research, um, I think we saw on Twitter and other places people being wildly excited about it because it suggested that uh, you know, mainline Protestants who don't identify as evangelicals had have risen in number and outnumber evangelical Protestants. That seemed to bring a lot of joy to what you know our uh, friends on the you know who who are on the more the progressive left side of Christianity who probably want want to see or are glad to see a, a decline of evangelical political power that you know had aligned with Republican and conservative politics in the past thirty years or so. So Ryan's piece digs into the complexity of surveying uh, Christians in America, religious people, and Protestant, these sort of mainline and evangelical categories. So if you want, we could get into the nuance of it, or we could cut to the chase and get to more of, uh, you know, the conclusion of uh, why he thinks that study wasn't maybe exactly correct. The nuance is really important. And, you know, uh, he points out here that there, there's different data sets. And so two of the sort of major data sets, he explains, contradict the PRRI numbers and basically show, as you point out, a decline of the, the main line. And, um, uh, you know, he gets into how that new study from PRRI employed different questions and, uh, you know, sort of, and, and therefore got different results. It asks, you know, people it's serving. And, and so definitely go to Religion Unplugged or the version at Ministry Watch to read those nuances if you're interested in it. But he, I, you know, here's a paragraph I think that summarizes his conclusion at the end. He said, there's one clear and unmistakable conclusion. The largest traditions in the main line are losing members at an incredibly rapid rate. The United Methodists lost 2.25 million members over 10 years, a 15% decline. He points to the ELCA Lutheran uh, group that lost 22% in the last 10 years. The PCUSA, Presbyterian uh, mainline 
uh, is down 40% between in the last uh, between 09 and 2020. And the disciples of Christ during that period are also down 40%. He said there's only one tradition, the American Baptist, where membership is only down single digits over the last decade. And so those are some of the uh, major, main, what we call mainline denominations that are part of, you know, the seven sisters. The uh, So uh, he, he walks through the data and I think makes a pretty strong case that, uh, uh, that uh, we, we need more research here. The PRRI survey doesn't seem to represent some sudden surge of uh, perhaps of uh, growth or renewal in the in the main line. Paul, is there anything you'd like to add while we're still on this topic? You know, you know, Warren, I'm just curious to ask you a, qu- a quick question. Uh, you know, I do, I am curious. I don't want to write off future research in this zone, but one thing I think subtext of the discussion on Twitter and other places about that PRRI survey was that it, it seemed to reveal a, a hope that I think from some people that some evangelicals are going to be disillusioned with Trump or the Republican Party of the last five five years, let's say, and migrate away from evangelical republicanism toward the mainstream. I think that was kind of a subtext that uh, let's certainly hope more people research it. I just don't know. Uh, I wouldn't bet that it's uh, for sure true, you know. Paul, I'd like to turn our attention now to The Chosen, which is a streaming series by Dallas Jenkins that portrays the life of Jesus. You have a review of the second season by Joseph Holmes, and he says the second season is not as good as the first season, but it's still the gold standard for Christian television. Yeah, so I, I really like this piece by Joseph, who, by the way, was a is a was an alum of uh, King's College and was in at least one class I taught. He's just a wonderful young man who pays attention to filmmaking and is particularly interested in Christian uh, parts of filmmaking. So he's written some good pieces, including this one. And I'll be honest, like you, I have not watched this show. I, uh, in in one sense, I remember growing up, and you know there was. Of course, movies that I saw as a child, like Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments and others out there that from the 70s or 80s that that uh, were sort of mainstream depictions of uh, religious stories, Christian stories, uh, stories from the Bible. And one thing I've noticed traveling around the world is pr- uh, programs like The Chosen are massive hits in, in parts of Latin America and par- places where there's other languages produced by people in those countries. And I think that the what Joseph is covering here, what we're seeing is a show that grew up grassroots, raised a ton of money from crowdsourcing, and maybe people like you and me kind of wait a while to see, is this thing any good? And I'm at the point where I'd like to go watch the first season because this thing seems to be gaining a lot of traction, finding a market from the grassroots level uh, in America and other English-speaking places. Uh, and I think culture, both <laughs> all parts of religious and Christian culture, need, are and will need to pay attention more. And and perhaps the uh, entertainment establishment also. This this the success of this show uh, may force more of the entertainment establishment, especially the new zones and streaming channels, etc., perhaps to pay attention to the uh, mass po- massive potential of storytelling uh, uh, for religious people, especially Christian people in America. This chosen, again, is an illustration of uh, when people demand or go toward quality content, quality storytelling, either the quality of the, of the filmmaking, but also 
I think the goodness of the content that I, I, I that Hollywood and street, the new streaming giants have to, to listen because personally, I think there's a lot of garbage on some of these streaming services that I don't want my kids uh, watching. And meanwhile, look at the Emmy nominations that just came out, Warren. And I think we see in there, uh, if you, we did a whole, we did some coverage of the Mandalorian in a podcast about the religion and certain themes in the Mandalorian, even in its weird way uh, of delivering those. And it, another show I really followed was uh, Ted Lasso, which is up for a whole bunch of Emmys, I think. Uh, that one wasn't really about religion, but you know what it was about? Forgiveness. And I think, uh, uh, you know, now there's, certainly there's some salty language and adult situations in that show. So it's more not a kid's show. It's more of an adult show. But I do think you watch that and see some messages that are society that come from, you know, uh, religion uh, ideas, uh, religious ideas, Christian ideas. And we can watch those and see some goodness. And I think that's what I hope is a, there's a huge market for it. And this show chosen, the chosen, I mean, uh, helps illustrate that perhaps. Paul, I'd like to talk about pastors and plagiarism. I've covered a number of stories involving celebrity preachers and plagiarism over the years, everyone from Mark Driscoll to David Barton. And lately, the issue came up when the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Ed Litton, was accused of plagiarizing sermons from the outgoing president, J.D. Greer. Bobby Ross wrote about the subject for Religion Unplugged. Uh, what did he say? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic as well. Yeah, so and Bobby is a seasoned religion journalist based in Oklahoma, and he writes what we call our weekend plug-in. And I, I uh, highly recommend people subscribe to his newsletter. If you go to our website, find it there, um, you'll get it in your email box. And, and, and we ask people to pay five bucks, uh, uh, I think a month for that. Uh, anyway, so we appreciate your support if you could do that. Uh, but this is a great roundup every week about key stories about religion in America. And so, and he, he reads widely on all these different sites. So I think what spawned this as the lead item last Friday was a piece by a really excellent, generally excellent religion reporter at the New York Times named, named Ruth Graham. And it was a front page story about, as you pointed out, uh, uh, plagiarism allegations about sort of the, the outgo, uh, uh, the incoming Southern Baptist, uh, uh, president who has even plagiarized the previous uh, leader of the Southern Baptist. So, you know, what Bobby highlighted was, A, that was a good story by Ruth, uh, but he also pointed out this other reporting that others have done on the topic that maybe others, that some of us hadn't read or forgot. Uh, so this is a, just a good ongoing story about plagiarism, and to me, I'll tell you my thoughts about it. Uh, uh, you know, you can see all the links to the various stories that have been done. Uh but I think what's important here is, while while some you know some may think that okay, well the New York Times is just trying to attack the Southern Baptists and you know hit, kick them when they're down or something. Or uh, where I see it's important for us to uh, read and think about these stories is that uh, we have we should have high standards for our pastors, people we are paying to deliver messages, and uh, high standards means. I saw a uh, uh, I saw a uh, uh, so a couple letters to the editor in the New York Times this morning on that story, and one was from a rabbi who said, um, you know, it's important in faith traditions to cite where you get information, honor the wisdom, uh, to practice intellectual honesty. So journalists need to practice intellectual honesty, and so do ministers, and that means 
it's not a shameful thing to quote somebody else, but say who you're quoting. So uh, Linton uh, uh, should have said, hey, my, my friend and colleague, J.D. Greer, said this joke, and I, I wanted to repeat it because I think it's so funny or insightful. Or, you know, that is a practice that we need to encourage, I think, from top to bottom, far and wide within Christianity and in any, any institution of, uh, you know, uh, my students, I don't let them get away with plagiarism, and I don't want. I wouldn't want to let my pastor get away with it either. Well, you know, Paul, I never want to condone plagiarism. Stealing is stealing, even if the property is intellectual property. But I sometimes think we're missing the point when it comes to preachers and plagiarism. I think the far bigger issue is that pastors feel like that they don't have the time, the energy, or the intellectual and spiritual resources to preach their own sermons. In my view, that's a bigger problem. In other words, it's not that he gets help, but that he must get help. I also wonder if the internet hasn't placed pastors in a a situation that we really haven't seen in historical terms. Plagiarism as a legal standard is a bit amorphous. Even as a moral and ethical standard, the lines have shifted a bit. It's highly likely that most of the great stories of ancient history, the Odyssey, the Epic of Gilgamesh, Canterbury Tales, many of Shakespeare's plays were lifted in whole cloth from others. More recently, the novelist Wallace Stegner wove historical letters into his novel, The Angle of Repose. Now, that novel won the Pulitzer Prize and was voted one of the 100 best novels of the 20th century, but there's no doubt that Stegner essentially plagiarized, if we want to use modern definition, the writings of Mary Halleck Foote, who wrote a century earlier. Yeah, I think I think it did raise questions on that. And, you know, these stories help us see that being a pastor is hard work. It's not a cushy job. If, if the expectation is for them to, um, I mean, the amount of speaking and original, creating original thoughts or content, uh, uh, having methodology to it, I, I agree. I think uh, Lillian, the Lily Endowment, has an interesting project that uh, rewards pastors for sabbaticals, renewal, uh, pays churches or pastors for that. I think that's that kind of idea is really important. And you know, um, I'm reading this novel right now that uh, by Marilyn Robinson that won, I think it won a Pulitzer Prize. It's called Gilead, and it's a you know it's about this small town pastor in the Midwest. And what's one of the beautiful things about that novel is how she explains the life of a pastor and the weariness that comes with that. And uh, the particular character in uh, in that novel, the pastor, uh, his father and grandfathers were pastors, and he describes his boxes full of original sermons in the attic that he has and, and, and the thoughts that went into those and the meaning. And if anything, I really hope that this coverage around plagiarism elevates the conversation around the rarefied beauty that is uh, uh, the work of a pastor, a minister, uh, thinking and writing and bringing their studies to to bear when they do deliver uh, an original message, a well-crafted message that cites other sources. I hope that we're not just always beating up on pastors. Yes, we need to watch for plagiarism and and call it out, but I hope it encourages us to uh, uh, thank our pastors more to identify excellent efforts in preaching. It's in a, in a connected digital age where it, you know, it's so easy to plagiarize. Maybe it's a special treat that uh, when we go in person and can hear a, a message delivered by someone who is really skilled and talented. Paul, we've got to bring our time to a close. I just want to thank you again for being on the program. 
Absolutely. You're welcome. To find out more about Religion Unplugged and the stories we discussed today, go to religionunplugged.com. If you'd like to give to Religion Unplugged's International Reporting Fund, there's a link at the top of the page. To find out more about Ministry Watch, of course, you can go to ministrywatch.com. And I'd like to share a couple of quick notes before we go. First, if you want to contribute to Ministry Watch, uh, there's a way to do that as well. We've got a donate button at the top of the page. But if, you know, now's the right time for you to contribute, I get it. I've been there a time or two myself. But that doesn't mean you can't help. First of all, we cover your prayers. You know, at Ministry Watch, we write a lot about people who started out strong but finished poorly. Pray for us that what God has begun here at Ministry Watch, we will continue faithfully. And secondly, if you're listening to this podcast on your podcast app, give us a rating. The more ratings we get, the better the program performs with search engines. In other words, the more people can find it. It's an important way that you can help us, and it doesn't cost you a dime. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. Here at Ministry Watch, we get database, technical, and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, Casey Suddeth, and Kim Roberts. Thanks to Bobby Ross, Joseph Holmes, and the entire Religion Unplugged team for providing content for our conversation today. I'm Warren Smith, again with my guest, Paul Gladder, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.